Good morning. I'm Clara Moranville. I'm Randy's wife, and Randy and I are the pastors here. We're glad that you're here. And I'm very excited because uh, on Thursday, five of us are going to go to India. Five of us are already there, and I'm very excited about going. So I'm taking a really good look at all of you because I don't think I'm going to see quite this pigmentation for a very long time. (laughs) It's awesome. So thank you for um, blessing us, um, enabling the team to go. That's a very expensive trip. The visas alone and the shots were like $800 per person. Just that. That included the flight and all that stuff. And I was like, (gasps) so praise God, you guys. We did it. That's 10 people. That's awesome. The Lord is good. So remember to pray for us and pray for those who are already there. I was sent an email that said, send snacks. <laughs> no, I'm putting them in the suitcase, snacks, because I don't think the food probably is appropriate for all of their needs. <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be fun. Anyway, bless you and thank you here. Well, I haven't preached for a while, but I'm excited about preaching today. And we're going to jump right in. Okay, I'm going to jump in with asking you a question. Have you ever heard of a woman named Michelle Somerville? Anybody? Oh, well, my PowerPoint tech has. That's good. Good. My tech person back there also. Well, anyway, she is the founder of Gay Catholic Community. She's a woman not that much younger than me. Just a little bit younger than me. So when I was getting saved in the 70s, she was turning away from the church. And it kind of started when she decided that she wanted to be an altar boy. So she went to the authorities and said, you know, I'd like to be an altar boy. And they said, well, that doesn't really work around here. That is for guys only. In fact, the only time that a female can approach the altar is on the day of her wedding when she's a bride. And then a little bit later, Michelle's mother became ill. And so they called the Catholic priest to come and give her the last rites. And the last rites is one of seven sacraments in the Catholic Church. They now call it something different, but back in the 70s it was called the last rites. And that's where when a person is dying, you go there and you give them um, the forgiveness of sins so they can peacefully go from this life to the next. And the mom, who had had four children, refused to repent for using the birth control pill. So the priest decided not to give her forgiveness. So these kinds of things turned Michelle away from the Catholic Church. But she came back in the last decade, and she's come back to the Catholic Church on her own terms. And here are a couple of quotes. I quickly developed a sense of what I did and did not want in a church. I wanted to have a transcendent experience, but as the mother of three toddlers, I also wanted convenience. She auditioned a number of churches, and she said, I had zero tolerance for fast, for folk masses, anti-abortion talks, wrote reciters of scripture, and congregants who refused to sing. This is not about worship. I'm just, you know. I prefer my preachers to be witty, lyrical, and learned. I think she would like me. (laughs) Michelle then went on to list about a dozen other things that she wanted and did not want in a church. The church needs to be actively involved in ordaining homosexual priests and nuns. And in regards to the idea that homosexuality is a sin, she said, quote, The love the sinner, hate the sin, take on homosexuality, which the teaching authorities of a more than a few religions, including my own, espouse, is untenable. Being gay is not a sin. 
Now, Michelle's authority, clearly not the scriptures, clearly not the church, and clearly not Christ. She may have some things right, but clearly in this situation, she has made her own self to be the one who decides what's right or wrong. I think Michelle represents millions of 21st century Americans who've come to this place where who's going to be our authority? What is going to be our authority? And pretty much what I personally feel is what matters. Okay? What I believe, I'm going to be my own God. Now, on the opposite spectrum is what's called the traditionalist fundamentalist approach. Now, the traditionalist fundamentalist approach is seen on bumper stickers that say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Like an old Nike advertisement was, just do it. That was their slogan. In fact, I have that sticker on my guitar that is currently in India. If the Bible says that you just do it, you don't ask questions, you don't interpret, you just obey it. Now, for a lot of folks, even here, you may say, well, that's right. In fact, you might even have that bumper sticker that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But there's two problems with the traditionalist, fundamentalist approach. First of all, most of those folks do not do what they say. They don't really mean it. At least the vast majority of traditionalist fundamentalists don't just do it. Okay, now, for example, five times in the New Testament it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. How many of you obeyed that this morning? That wasn't your family? Okay. Okay, what about women should have their head covered? And it is a disgrace for a man to have long hair. Now, for those of you who know me, you probably would describe me as a huggy, kissy kind of person, right? Those who know me, would you say that about me? Yes. I was raised in a Hispanic (laughs) culture. And so we expressed ourselves. I kissed family. I kissed friends. If someone came one time before they left, I was kissing them goodbye. So when we took a mission trip to Costa Rica, I fit right into that culture. I didn't have any problem kissing folks. And our team had to kind of get over some issues. Females kiss females. Males kiss males. When we went to Hungary, you had to kiss both cheeks. So what are we doing? In the United States, if we were fundamentalist, traditionalist kind of folks, and we went around kissing everybody, (laughs) they would call us nuts. In Texas, I would imagine our men would get their guns. Okay, what about the issue of meat? Now, those of you that are not vegetarians, do you eat meat with blood in it? In the Old Testament, there's a whole bunch of scriptures that says don't eat meat with blood in it. It's even in the New Testament. So you can't just say, well, that was Old Testament stuff. We're now into this new world, whatever. So what are we going to do? Do you guys wash each other's feet? When's the last time you did that? If you came to our home for Passover, we do that. But otherwise, we need to begin to realize we don't just do it, which leads us to a second problem, which is that nobody just reads the scripture flat. Nobody. We have to realize that we come interpreting the scriptures. And how are we going to figure out what's a practice, what's a principle? 
Well, in this business of holy kissing, we would say, well, that was a first century custom. And so, like, right now, we have our, we hug, the one, two, three pat, or she's saying goodbye, handshake, and definitely, we can certainly smile, right? And that's how we would let people know they're welcome and we're glad that they're here, right? Did you all do something like that today? the people here okay so you are fitting right in with interpreting that passage the way that fits within your culture a lot of jews in the community they would have been offended if we ate meat that were sacrificed to idols so you know we're trying not to offend folks so we're not going to do that so if i was having a party and i had jewish friends over or some muslim friends i would do my best to make sure there was no pork maybe even pay attention to what's kosher and not kosher and or halal and pay attention to the folks. There's no reason to offend people for no reason. So we have to search the scriptures and understand what's practice and what's principle. Why am I doing this? Because of the passage that we're going to begin to unlock this morning. We need to have not always forbid people from eating meat with blood. The point is don't necessarily offend people with your life and your freedoms. You may be free of alcoholism, but maybe the person sitting next to you is not. The vast majority of Christians who hold on to the authority of the Bible go through some sort of process of interpretation, which is often what we're headed with. And so we try to take the cultural husk off so we just have the kernel, and we know, okay, now look at the kernel. This is by which we're going to live by and look at. All right, now... Let's do this. Practice. Practice is something that is an interpretation of a principle. It's a cultural thing. So it comes and goes. Okay, we talked about the kissing one. Okay? And principle is that which is long-sustaining. It doesn't change. It has value no matter what culture, what era. It's the thing that God says, this is by which you live your life with. So what do we do with a verse that says, wives submit to your husbands? Now, if you're not choking on that one, maybe you'll choke to one that we're going to look at a little bit later, which is, slaves, obey your masters. What do we do with that verse? We're becoming a lot more aware of slavery contemporarily in our world, aren't we? And we're having to look at that a little bit differently. We want to avoid Michelle's trap, which is, I can do whatever I like, take it or leave what parts I want, and I'm going to be my own authority. And we need to be careful of, it says it, I believe it, that settles it. Because sometimes that perspective is so cruel and breaks a whole bunch of other Christian biblical principles that we look nuts. And we're far off of what God would hope for us to be. We want us to be relevant Christians in the world that we live in. So we're going to tackle a kind of tough text. And I'm going to have to do it in a couple parts. So today I'm just going to bring some understanding so that you'll be open to what we're going to discuss when I come back from India. So I really do want to deal with these um, roles that we have. So let's start with prayer. Well, Lord, we just thank you so much that you love us and you are never changing. You are the same God who created this world and it's the same God who's here today and will be here tomorrow. And Lord, thank you that your word is true. We live by it. We love it. And thank you for the Holy Spirit that reveals to us how to walk in the culture that we live in as followers of Christ. And Father, some of the things that have been said in the last hundred years 
would not have made it 200 years ago. Some of the things that are happening now in 20 years would not have been accepted, Lord, 50 years ago. And, Lord, we need your help to understand what are the principles by which we must live by. I pray for the enlightenment of your Holy Spirit to be upon us through the teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to start with reading the passage that we're going to start studying together or talking about. I guess I'm going to talk about it. You guys are going to listen. Okay, verse 18 from chapter 3 in Colossians. We'll start there. Okay, wives, can we read them together? And actually, let's do, uh, I like what others have done. Mm-hmm. You two, this group going to do the first two verses. You guys are the next two verses. And you guys are the next two verses and then the next group of verses. And then I'll finish the last verse. Okay, let's try it. Ready, guys? Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as it's fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Father, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eyes is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Okay, how about this group now? Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Those who do wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Okay, center group. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So here, right immediately, we hit smack 21st century world with the first century world. Verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husband as it's fitting in the Lord. And we'll say, well, what's the big deal? Well, if you haven't lived your whole entire life inside the church building, and you venture out to other cities like New York or Los Angeles, you might have to encounter a different kind of world. Maybe you're a university student at UTSA or at St. Mary's, and you have a college professor who's a female. Maybe she teaches in the English department or in women's studies. And she says, you know what? I'm thinking about coming back to the church. I'm thinking about restoring my relationship with Christ. You know, my husband and I... We have a very equalitarian marriage. We make decisions together. We share the load in our chores. Neither one of us really has the final say. Is that okay? Can I be okay in your church with that kind of belief system? And you might say, well, sure, it's not a problem. It sounds like you guys have to actually have a pretty good thing going. Or do you have to say, you know, to be honest with you, the problem with contemporary marriage today in America is that women are not submitting to their husband. The problem is that women are trying to be the men in the house. And they're trying to make all the decisions and be independent of men. The Bible teaches the problem with America is that we don't have marriages in which women allow the men to be keen of the castle and to have the final say. Now, you might be thinking, that really sounds like a kind of an unfair caricature. But I have had elder married men come to me pointing the finger and saying, Clara, you must be silent. In fact, I don't even want to hear you speak. 
I only want to speak to your husband because he is the head of your home. I mean, does that sound like Twilight Zone to you? But when that happened to me, I was within the vineyard movement, a movement that I love and I cherish. And there's been confusion, and there's been definitely things changing since then. But let's just leave the marriage issue aside for a while, and let's tackle the thing on slavery. When, there was a woman named Laxmi Swanee, and she comes in and she says, I'm trying to have a relationship with Christ. Somebody gave me a Bible, and I read in Colossians chapter 3 this verse. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Is that is what's required from me, or can I run away from my masters? Now, she tells you her story, and absolutely this is a true story. It comes from this book. I'm reading this section about India because I want to be informed about what to expect when I get there. It's probably one of the worst countries right now in relationship to slaves. But anyway, Lakshmi Swani was born in India. She came to England by way of Kuwait. She is a servant of the Emir of Kuwait. A couple of the princesses there, she works for them. Regularly, the princesses go to central London, and they stay there about six months. They have a lot more freedoms there than they do in Kuwait. And so by 8 o'clock, the princesses go out in the town. They arrive by 2, 3 in the morning. While they're gone, Laxmi is required to stand by the door in which they left her. She cannot move. And when they come back, she has to massage their hands and feet. And if they're in a bad mood, she has to deal with their hits and their vulgarity and beatings. She's been subject to a lot of brutality, both physical and mental abuse. Regularly, she's beaten with electrical cords, broomstick, horse whip. Two of her teeth have been yanked out of her mouth. Her eyes are damaged because they've been thrown at with eggs and other, I mean, with uh, keys and other objects. And she was told that her, one of her children had died on a motorcycle accident. When she heard the news, she broke down and wept. And because she was crying, they beat her. Later on, she found out it wasn't true. Her son had not been killed. He was very much alive. When she goes to drink water, she has to drink it from the bathtub, sneaking it in. Many days go by and she does not get to eat. It's not they don't have enough food. They have food, but then they throw it in the trash in front of her, letting it get spoiled so she cannot eat. So what are you going to tell her in relationship to this verse? Would it be okay if I run away from these women? Or reported them to the authorities? Or should I just do what Colossians 3.22 says? <laughs> Obey your masters in everything. Do you say to Laxmi, well, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, just do it. Do you see the nutness of that kind of response? No, you tell her, my heart is broken and I would do everything I can to free you from this place. It is inhumane, the treatment that you're experiencing. The story is very true. I've not exaggerated. It's from that book. If you're interested in reading the book, it's called Disposable People, New Slavery in the Global Economy by Kevin Bills. And he's director of an organization, nonprofit called Free the Slaves. He's, probably, he's known as the guru guy about slavery. Very, um, very expertise. 
But it's hard to believe that these things are happening in the United States. There are 27 million, estimated 27 million slaves today in our world, even though in every country it is against the law. How is that happening? In the United States, we have farm workers who have been found locked inside a barracks and working under armed guards as field slaves. We've heard about women from Thailand and the Philippines who have been freed from brothels in New York, in Seattle, in Los Angeles. We're not talking some other weird country in our very own country. Most oriental rugs are sold in India, are made by children. Thousands of girls are given to priests to serve as sex slaves in India, and millions of boys and girls are enslaved in India to pay off the debts of their parents. How do these folks get into slavery? Some are born into it. But the newest trend is this one question. Do you want a job? And so children, teenagers, adults pile into the back of a truck or a vehicle and are taken away to work, not getting paid, enslaved, and they realize they are prisoners for life. So how do we read the Bible here in the vineyard? How are we going to respond? How do we, what do we say to slaves around the world? How are we going to interpret the scriptures? Now, there are rules for interpreting the scripture. We talked about them before, but I want to talk about three things that I think are going to be thematic as we approach this passage that will help you. This less on the, you know, the context and all that kind of stuff, which we will do when we get to the passage. But today I want us to think of three themes as we look at the passage. And if you want more information about how the vineyard interprets the scriptures, there is a program called VLI, Vineyard Leader Institute. It's a two-year program, and one of the classes is about interpreting the Bible. Very good. And you can look it up at www.vli.org. Okay, but let me offer these three thoughts that we're going to think about this morning. The Bible should be interpreted according to our stance as empowered evangelicals. Now, there's a couple of leaders in our, our association of churches. Their names are Rich Nathan and Ken Wilson, two really top-notch scholars. And they wrote a book called Empowered Evangelicals. And they coined this phrase, empowered evangelicals, to explain the vineyard. Okay, so those of you who are visiting, you're like, pay attention because... Okay, what's the vineyard about? Because is this a good fit for me? Is this church going to be a good fit for me? Okay, so according to this book, what we try to do is create a church where we wholeheartedly, strongly believe in the word of God as being true. Okay, we believe the word of God and we live our lives according to the word of God. And we also strongly believe in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we rely on the Holy Spirit to help us understand the scriptures and then to empower us to be able to do it. This is a not get better group. Do it yourself group. It it can't be. We won't make it. We must be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the things that God expects us to do and hopes for us to do. Have any of you already discovered you can't do it on your own? Right. Clearly, the cross is the beginning We can't do that. We don't want to do that. We're thankful the Lord died for our sins. But after that, the Holy Spirit says, can I help you live the Christian life? So if you walk out of this building any day feeling condemned, you've missed the boat. You should feel conviction and you should feel empowerment. 
And the only way you're going to do that is by connecting with God and saying, God, give me power to be a good wife. Give me power to be a loving husband. Give me power to obey my parents when I don't agree with them. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And that is what the empowered part is. It's about experiencing God's power to be able to do the things. And it's also about hearing God through his word. Okay, now last week David talked about hearing God's word and making decisions. You go to his word, you go to authorities, you get confirmation, you pray about it. And when it's a really big decision, you want all those things, not just, I heard God. Because you know what? I hear God and sometimes I'm wrong and I've been 32 years into this. So I need confirmation from God's word, from the people who are my leaders in my life. Some of you get dreams that are very full of revelation. Some of you should don't. So don't listen to the ones that don't, but the ones that seem to be confirming the things you're already hearing, then God may be speaking through that way. So that's the empowered part. The evangelical part means that we listen, we study, we watch scripture, and we live according to that which we understand the writers to be saying. So you will not hear people in the vineyard say, well, I, I see that in the scripture, but I just disagree. I'm going to pick and choose what I want to do. It's a smorgasbord. And what I feel like doing, I'm going to do. That's the evangelical part, that we won't do that. Once we understand what the scripture says, we live by it. All right? So that's what em- empowered evangelicals is all about. Hopefully you want to sign up. Okay, so... I think this is one of the reasons why we have so much trouble, like, for instance, raising kids. We want a rule book. Could we just have a rule book, God? You know, one, two, three, even if it's a hundred rules, it'd be fine. And so instead he just says, children, obey your parents. Parents don't exasperate them. That's it. So what do we do from there? From there we go to the Holy Spirit. We get instruction from people to know what they're doing. We, we watch and we grow. Okay? Because when are you going to let your children date? When they're ready to get married? When they're 16? When they're 18? Are you going to be one of those parents that says, you know what, in their mid-40s, I'll chaperone them? <laughs> Adrian, sorry. Sorry, little one. Diana and uh, Catherine are going to have to, and Danny, I guess, too. So what are you going to do? What school should I send my child to? Public school? Should I homeschool them? Christian school. It's not one size fit all. That's why we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to help us discover what is this child supposed to be grown up with and like. All right? So I don't know if that makes you happy or sad. So you shouldn't judge me because we don't have a TV at our house. I shouldn't judge you because you have a TV at your house. Have you prayed about it? You can ask me, Claire, have you prayed about not having a TV in your house? You can ask me that. And if I said, well, no, I just didn't think it was a good idea. That's sloppy parenting. I have prayed about it. All right. My daughters, they really do hold me accountable. I'll say something, particularly Mercy, and she'll say, Mom, have you prayed about it? 
You know, and it's, you know, it's not, she doesn't do that for all, all things. For really important things that matter about her life, she wants to know, I've prayed about it. It makes it a lot easier for her to obey me when she knows I have. I mean, she may not agree with it, but my mom's prayed about it. She hears from God. If God is telling her to do this, then unto the Lord, I'm going to do what's right and obey my mom. Okay, secondly, the Bible should be interpreted in ways that will promote the spread of the gospel. Okay, for the Apostle Paul, social roles, how men treated women, how Jews treated Gentiles, slaves relating to their masters, were all subordinated to this one goal, that people would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. For Paul, the social roles are secondary. What's most important is that your life displays a God of love and one worthy of their attention. Just okay. Jim does that every once in a while when he sees you're starting to He and I have an understanding. So, yeah. Thank you, Jim. Keep up the good work. Okay, second, the Bible should be interpreted in ways that we promote the spread of the, whole, the, the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23 says this. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. It doesn't matter to Paul so much how you organize your marriage or organize your workplace or what government you live under. For the Paul, the fundamental and ultimate goal is children, Christians, are you acting in a way that promotes the gospel? Are you hindering the spread of the gospel? Now, in 1979, Randy and I went to Ensenada, Mexico, to be missionaries. We lived in an orphanage. And during that time, some of our duties was to tutor the children so they could do better in school. Imagine not having parents and then living under poor conditions the early ages of your life. You needed a little bit more help. And then also, every once in a while, I would meet with the older girls, and we would talk about being a godly Christian woman. And one of the times when I met with them, they asked me this question. Clara, is it okay for girls to shave? I thought, why are you asking this question? So I said, why are you asking that question? Well, because the director of the orphanage told us, which was a Christian orphanage, that only prostitutes shave their legs. I was glad I was wearing pants that day. For the rest of the year, I didn't shave. Now, do you think I think God cares if I shave my legs or not? That that's going to make me not go to heaven? That I'm actually a prostitute? No. But I became all things for all people. So while I was at the orphanage, I did not shave. Because I wanted to love them and I wanted to influence them to follow after Christ. 
And this is absolutely the case with Paul. He requires us to sacrifice our own personal interests, our own personal opinions, our own personal preferences in order to win other people. In the first century Christians, they were a tiny minority of people. They lived in a society that knew nothing about Jesus, nothing about the resurrection. The majority of the empire didn't know who he was. They didn't know about his love. And so these folks are trying to present Christ in a way that is attractive to the first century people. And then we also need to keep in mind that in the first century, one-third of the population were slaves. So for Paul to come out and say, hey, slavery is bad, we need to abolish this, and let's just start a rebellion right now, Christianity would have been smothered in the cradle. We wouldn't have had a chance. And Paul is very wise in how he writes things. The Roman Empire was male-dominated. Men were lords and kings of their household. And if Paul had said, women, you know what, just get rid of this male-domination thing, You're liberated. Forget about it. Go for it. Don't pay attention to the social rules. There would be no chance for the message of Christ to save a majority of that community. In less than a week, 10 of us are going to be in India. I mentioned that earlier. And when we land, I guess in, not Frankfurt, but Chennai. Chennai, thank you. Chennai. Who should I listen to, Kevin or Mercy? Let's have both. Kevin, Mercy, Kevin. Okay. <laughs> okay. Wherever we're going, it starts with a C. And when we land, we're going to go shopping. Okay? We're going to buy sawwars. Did I say that right? All righty. Look at that. Isn't that cute? Kind of hot. And I don't think they're that fancy, the ones that we're getting, because we're going to be working in an orphanage. Okay. Why am I restricting my freedoms? Do you think I want to do yard work with a scarf and pants and tops when it's hotter there than it is here right now? Absolutely not. Hey, you guys, we wear tank tops and shorts. No, it's not going to happen. I'm not going that way because I want to restrict my freedoms in order to minister to these folks. So the counsel that I might give concerning marriage will determine depend on who I'm talking to. In San Antonio, 21st century America, I might present it a little bit differently. But what do I tell a missionary couple that wants to go to Saudi Arabia or Pakistan? Yeah, I'm going to tell her, don't go out unescorted. And when you go out, don't make eye contact with men. When a man comes to visit your family, You need to hide in the inner inner room. Because if you don't do that, you're going to bring disgrace and scandal to your family and to your faith. That would be nuts if I said that to somebody in San Antonio, right? In fact, I think sometimes when we have extreme male-dominant marriages, it is an offense to our culture that we live in today. So in the vineyard, What are we going to do? How are we going to interpret the scriptures? And thirdly, the Bible should be interpreted with an eye to the coming kingdom of God. You know, a traditionalist, fundamentalist view, that approach that says just do it, 
can read into the scriptures very easily that slavery is legal and God ordained and blessed. I mean, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they had slaves, right? So what's the big deal? And actually, southern and northern during the Civil War, many of them argued and disagreed with the abolitionists because they believed that the scriptures teach that we're to have slaves. Ten Commandments. Did you know it talks about slavery there? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave. Sounds like God knew about this and was all for it. And it's even in the New Testament. Paul talks about slaves obeying their masters. Peter talks about even if they beat you for not doing anything wrong. Let's look at that passage. 1 Peter 2, 18 to 20. Slaves in reverence fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if you bear up under the pain of unjust suffering because you are conscious of God. But now, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Abolitionists could say, hey, it was good for the first century, it's good for us now. But we, as vineyard folk, believe in the kingdom of God and the ultimate plan of God. All right? What's it going to be like when Jesus comes back? You know what? If you're a fundamental traditionalist, then women should bear children in pain. What's this labor? Shots and C sections? Hello? Scripture clearly showed that women should have children in pain because that's what he told them, right? Okay, you guys, you need to realize that you have been doing interpreting of the Scripture your whole life and that many of us pick and choose what we want. And we have to have a standard, a mechanism by which to approach the Scripture to be able to glean from it the principles and live it within our culture. Okay, so... You would ask this question if you're a kingdom theology person, the kingdom of God theology kind of person. You would say, Lord, let your kingdom come. What are we praying? Lord, let your rule and reign into this world come that you may heal cancer. Lord, let your rule come so that we can reconcile broken marriages. Lord, let your leadership come in such a way that children are fed and not sold for sex. Let your ultimate purpose for humanity come now. Come, Holy Spirit. We must read Scripture according to God's ultimate desire and intent in the kingdom of God. So we're going to look at the text really quickly. Like I said, we're going to get back to when I come back. And at that point, then I'm going to really begin to dissect each verse, the meaning, the history, and all that stuff a little bit more. But I just felt like I wanted to get you in the same boat with me as we think about this. Okay, we strip away first century shell, the practice, and we go to the principle. First of all, when we read scripture as empowered evangelicals, one, we come to the Bible with the commitment to yield ourselves to the Bible. Okay? Secondly, we come not looking to substitute our opinions for God's opinions. It's the other way around. We come with our opinions and asking God, will you change them so they match up to yours? All right? And then we come looking, how does this affect my pr- promotion of the gospel? And this time, 
in this hour. And third, we come to the Bible to find what is God's ultimate desire, the kingdom of God. What is it that we're reaching for? First of all, from this passage, I want us to see that what we're reaching for, and I think this is one of the principles we can find from this text, is that all of life is to be Christ-centered. In these few verses that we read this morning, seven times it is about Christ. It refers to Christ being over everything. Let's look at them real quick. Um, verses, chapter 3, verses 18, 4 to 1. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Another one. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Number three, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. You see the worship? You see the who we're submitting to? Fourth, whatever you do, work as it is at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord. That's the fifth one, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. Number six, as reward. It is the Lord you are serving. And finally, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Seven. Social roles are secondary, but what's primary is who is the focus of our activity. Who are we doing this for? When someone asks you, what do you do in life? Who are you? What's the first thing that pops in your head? I'm married. I'm a mother. I'm a pastor, I'm a physical therapist, I'm a student. Does it really matter if you're married or single? Does it matter if you're a dropout in God's eyes or have a master's degree? In God's eyes, does it matter if you're male or female? The most important thing that can be said about you is that Christ is in your life and he's the center of your life. And that I'm living my life in my culture as a believer and a follower of Christ. I'm a child of God. I belong to him. My primary identity is I am a follower of Christ. And so therefore, everything I'm doing, everything I'm doing is about that. I'm seeking for ways to please the Lord, to do what is fitting, what brings him honor and reverence. If I were a missionary in the Middle East, I would abide by many of the cultural beliefs. And I would understand that I would probably be limited in my preaching of the gospel to some women. I would be okay with that if that was my calling. Okay? But I wouldn't expect that to be put on you here. We're all missionaries wherever we are. We have to understand our culture and how to use the word of God to impenetrate the world in which that we live. Okay, well, I think that's where I want to stop. And please read the scriptures again and come back when I go to preach, which will be in September. But come back after that because right when after we leave, Joy is going to teach, yeah, before I come back. I'm so glad you guys can interpret me. While we're gone in India, Joy is going to be preaching on worship. It's going to be powerful. And it is the empowerment part that she's going to be focusing on, which is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and how that works itself out in you. She spoke last year on the topic, 
we did not want her to stop. We said, can you keep going? It was that anointed and powerful. And so we asked her, would you be willing to do it again, and how much time do you think you need? So we're giving her three weeks. This is really important. I get to hear the last one because I'll be back by then. But please come and support what God's going to do during that time and be expectant of what God's going to do. Then, then after that, then we're going to have um, a recap of India, and then Kevin is going to teach. Excited about that. And then I'll get back to this topic about the nuts and bolts of those scriptures. Okay? All right. So the main theme today is we live in a culture as Christians and be about living for God in the culture and the realm in which you live. Sound good? Okay, please keep us in prayer. How about we stand? So, Father, I just felt um, some hair-bristling experiences um, for some folks here. Um, A little uncomfortable. And, Lord, you, you're really aware of that, and I really believe that you want to um, bring comfort to those, Father. Father, I know there have been some women here who have been abused, wrongfully, harshly treated, Father, by men in their lives. Uh, Father, we grieve, and we are so sorry for that, Lord. And we ask that you would forgive us, Lord, for our part in condoning that, for closing our eyes to it, Lord, ignoring it. We didn't want to deal with it. We walked away. Father, we are sorry. And we pray, Father, that you would bring healing to these women, Lord, as we go through these scriptures and freedom for them. Lord, we pray for our men, Lord. Father, we pray for your power to be upon them so much, Lord, that they would outshine your world as being lovers, lovers of you, Lord, and lovers of your people. Lord, I pray that it would be said of the men in the vineyard, those guys know how to love. And not just the women, Lord, but how to love children, how to love the lost, how to love their employers. Father, we pray that they would outshine anything that we've ever seen up to this point. And Father, I pray for you to settle us down, Lord, now and fill us with your Holy Spirit. Father, that we could say of ourselves, we are people who follow after Christ. We love his word. We live by it. And, Father, that it would make a difference. Empower them now, Lord. Empower them for good works. Fill them, Father, with so much joy that when we reunite, Father, we'll all have many great stories to tell one another what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Yes, that would be great. Now, we did do that. Were you here that Sunday when we did that? Yes, yeah. We did that again when everybody, most of us here, but yes, I would like to do that. Um, but besides that, um, I would like to say that if you have anything that you like prayer about that is personal in your life, not related to the topic, we're all about ministering for you. And so I would like the Ford captains to come forward, our board members to come forward, please. Um, because I want you to be prepared to minister to folks. Okay, sometimes we do it this way. Sometimes we pray from this part, but I felt this morning I wanted to do it this way. And then Jolene, you raise your hand.
Okay, those of us who would like to pray about India and the team that's gone there and pray for the team, we're going to do that in just a minute because we're going to release these guys first. Right where she's standing, those you can go over there and we'll pray for them. Okay, sound good? Now, are there any other words from you all that you want to, you sense you want to give, you guys? You happy? Anything? Okay, all right. We love you. The service is dismissed except for those who want ministry. And we'll see you in next week.